I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Seven fifty five is real with David O'Brien and Erica Flaherty is on the air now. Welcome back to Seven Fifty Five is Real, presented by Tops. Check out Tops Project Seventy, celebrating seventy years of Tops baseball cards. I'm David O'Brien, Braves writer for the Athletic, and I'm with a special co-host today. Since Eric is uh, involved in his wife delivering their baby <laughs> right he's um, not having the baby <laughs> he's not having a baby no, no i love we, it when people say that we're having a baby well he is involved one of you is <laughs> <laughs> she's doing the heavy lifting yeah exactly um, so we got a special more than competent co-host here today and Eno saris you know is it saris or saris i always mean to ask you know i probably mispronounce it we go with saris but it is greek so i think saris would make sense too but we go Eno Saris. And in case anybody of a certain age is wondering out there, Eno is indeed named after Brian Eno. So <laughs> he had right. a couple of very cool parents, <laughs> obviously. I know a lot of our younger listeners are going, who the hell is Brian Eno? <laughs> <laughs> that's right, that's he was right. a left-hander with the A's back in the 60s. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. But uh, uh, like a really important person in music, I guess. Exactly. Google Brian Eno. Yeah, check him out. He produ- he was behind the scenes, more of a producer, but uh, yeah, might have created like might have created three different musical styles. Yeah, and so. also did some of his own solo, some great solo stuff, and, and as a recording artist himself. But he was yeah. huge in the development, production, or I should say, of the Talking Heads and people like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, he's uh, Brian Eno, very influential musician yeah. who's still going strong today. So, um. Let's get let's get to some baseball, man. We got a we got a guy here that can answer a lot of our questions, probably, or a lot of uh, comments that people have made wondering about things like spin rate and all that. Because Eno does the deep dive, the mm-hmm. deepest of deep dives at the Athletic into all this kind of thing. So, let me ask you first of all: the Braves have won uh, five out of six games, and finally are on that kind of run that they've been talking about going on all year, or at least they're they're showing signs of doing it because they've done it against some good competition as well. Uh, they kept their heads above water coming out of the break. They had a brutal stretch of 18 games. They went nine and nine in that stretch against the Padres, the Rays, the Phillies, the Mets. Uh, and now they've won five out of six, and they're at the softest part of their schedule. I know the Phillies also have a soft schedule coming up. I see the Phillies and the Braves running away from the Mets down the stretch. I think the mm-hmm. Mets are going to mess it up. Do you think the uh, Braves have the – personnel after especially after the additions they made at the break uh, are at the trade deadline to to make a run at this thing yeah it's really tough to 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 look at them as a team uh just because of acuna right like it's yeah. uh you know it's he's what it's only one player but it's such a dynamic player at the top of the lineup because when you're looking backwards I think there's a lot of evidence actually that um this is the best Braves team uh, the best. This is the the best team in the division. Yeah, um, when healthy, you know, no question. 
Yeah, because for example, just looking at the numbers, like they've uh, scored the most runs in the division, and uh, they have the second best runs allowed in the division. So they mm-hmm. have the best run differential, which uh, usually suggests that they're even better than their than their sort of five hundred ish record to date. They should they should be. They should be the ones with 59 wins, basically, right? It's now. a little skewed, though, when you look, because they've had a freaky season as far as they scored 20 runs twice. They scored mm. 15 runs like three other times. I mean, they've piled up some runs. And, and then that actually, that could actually, that, that's one of the ways that run differential can be yeah. uh, misleading. It's true. Huge run. You know, like they had a couple of games where the guys, when they brought in position players and they piled up seven runs in the last inning, they did one of those against the Phillies. They did one of those against the Mets. So, that's a problem with run differential to me. It was okay before all these teams started going to position players. Like it's a normal thing to pitch position players at the end of routes. That used to be the exception. Now you see it so much, man. I hate it myself, but I understand why teams do it. <laughs> um, in this day and age where starters only go five or six innings, you see it happen a lot more, you know? What would you say if, uh, if a team just decided to, uh, to, to call it? I don't think I'd have a problem with that, man. Yeah, as a as a writer, I feel like because yeah. writers are like, sure, we get to go home early. Yeah, all right. <laughs> well, you know, it would be a more representative sample of what the team is than it is right. when, when the other team scores seven runs off a shortstop who's in there throwing fifty eight miles an hour. But yeah, it ain't gonna happen. But you know, I, I would I wouldn't have a problem with the mercy rule, ten run mercy rule. I wouldn't. <laughs> so, yeah. but and also, you know, while we're on the subject, it pisses me off that MLB finally got a few rules rules that everyone came around to and i'm as traditionalist as anybody but me like a lot of old diehard people really ended up liking some rules we didn't think we'd like like the runner at second base to start the 10th inning maybe you push mm-hmm. it back to the 12th inning but people liked it the seven inning double header games people love it players like it managers like it writers like it so what does MLB do? It looks like they're going to kill both of those for next year. I mean, what yeah. what do you think that's more to do with the collective bargaining? It seems like the, the commissioner is worried about the statistical, the long-term, the bigger picture of stats and having nine inning games and 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 because there's so many doubleheader games now that he wants that's a significantly fewer innings when you play a lot mm. of seven inning games. I mean, I don't know. And also I think he listened to people complaining who are paying full price tickets. For seven inning games, that's that's I think the one where um, you don't want to alienate paying customers, especially since uh, attendance is down. Yeah, um, yeah, you know, physical attendance. You know, baseball is doing pretty well because uh, because uh, the TV money is still good. But yeah. uh, I guess he doesn't want to put any more pressure on attendance and 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 create this idea that like that you might not get your full money's mm-hmm. worth. Uh, so I guess the seven thing I could understand that, but um, you know, I one thing that I think that people don't maybe understand uh, so perfectly is that extra inning baseball is, is not good baseball. It usually is not. <laughs> it's it's, not, it's yeah. play four or five innings and wait for somebody to make a mistake and hit home run. That's it. it yeah. and you can actually see it in the numbers. Swing yeah. rates uh, go up. And because the swing rates go up, because everyone's just swinging for the fences, yeah. uh, the pitchers don't really throw it in the zone. So it's like this awful sort of walks yeah. and strikeouts thing, which is already what we already think that we have too many walks and strikeouts. And then let me yeah. introduce you to the 19th inning. <laughs> I mean, I can, I, I, it's countless the number of games I've covered that once you get past the ninth, you go to extra innings, it's like, 
Okay, we're going to be here a while. You yeah. never get that. And now it's so different with that runner at second base. The game almost never goes past 10 or 12 minutes, it seems yeah. like. I think so, it adds the urgency. It just it puts some pressure on the team. It's exciting. It really it's is. Exciting. Puts the puts the pressure on them to score to to finish the game and and, Relief, and I w- I thought it might be bunt sacrifice fly. Um yeah. Teams can't bunt anymore though. <laughs> but I don't actually think that I think that if you're the first team, right, in the top of the half, yeah. the top half, I think there's pressure on you to try and score more than one. Yeah. Because you kind of assume they're going to score one. So you don't really want to bunt, sacrifice, fly, get one, and then they go to the bottom half and yep. they get one. Then just what, what was the point of that? So mostly I've seen teams go for it. Like just, you know, try to try to get some hits, to, you know, try to get some runs together. Uh, yeah, I agree. And and teams can't bunt, man. I mean, Pete, <laughs> team, but the Braves, and I don't think they're really that unusual. They work on this at spring training. And you know, it. for a couple of weeks, then they don't work on it again. <laughs> yeah. And you expect, and then fans are at home watching on TV going, why don't they bump there? I'm like, cause they don't work on it once they get out of spring training. So it's four months later, you're facing a guy with those 98 mile an hour, you know, sinkers. And you're, right. you're expecting a hitter to go up there and bunt. Oh yeah. We worked on this in spring training four months ago. <laughs> it used yeah. to be pitchers could all, it was like a given that a pitcher was going to sack on a guy over. And that's not even a given anymore. It's like a coin flip. Yeah, there's this really weird thing too this year where, um, you know, I don't know. This is get this borders on what people don't care about, which is like yapping between two writers about access or whatever. Hey, <laughs> but, wait a minute, man. But you know how we, you know how we, we, our access now is on the field, right? And you know what happened the minute they gave us access on the field? BP for almost every team is now optional. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and BP is the only time you might actually do some bunting because there yeah. is that sort of process, right? You take some swings, you you try to go left field, try to go right field, and then I, I forget at the beginning of the end you kind of do some bunting. Yeah. You do. Yeah, like they three usually bunts. do it at the, the most of them do it at the beginning. The beginning, and then you take some swings. But the, the thing is, those aren't like I'm now going to try and drag bunt for a hit. Yeah, you know, because they don't even run. You know, it's just like. Here's a dink, dink, dink. Yeah, okay, exactly. now I get to swing away. And, and they go in a cage now to do it. They take optional hitting. They All the new ballparks have these great indoor cages. Oh, yeah. yeah. But it's so totally they, they different because they're, the not, they're not doing the thing where guys used to work on, like Chipper Jones used to not swing away until like his final round. He's up there. And I saw JT, I saw uh, Justin Turner doing the same thing. He's up there hitting five balls to left, five mm. balls to center. Justin Turner was doing a thing. It was it was so cool to watch. He was doing a thing where it was almost like he was catching the ball with the bat and flinging it over the shortstop, flinging it over the second baseman. Wow. I mean, he had bat control. That's you know, cool. the young guys are getting up there just ripping. They're trying to hit the ball out of the ball up on the concourses and stuff. Yeah. But guys, the older guys are up there using batting practice for what it should be. Uh, Freddie Freeman's the same way. He sits up there, hits the ball, tries to hit line drives over the shortstop, you know, to the knock the shortstop down. But you take this yeah, indoors. He said something, you know, he really told me something interesting about that. So he 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 is aiming for the shortstop, right? Yeah. In, in BP. But I was like, dude, why are you aiming at the shortstop? That's an out. <laughs> yeah. Why would you do that? And he told me uh, that his back, I mean, he's had some back issues, right? Mm-hmm. I think he's had some back issues. Well, he, he told me that he doesn't bend over as much uh, in BP. And so when he practices hitting it at the shortstop in BP, and then he, when he bends over more uh, uh-huh. in the game, uh, that turns into over over the second baseman or up the middle. 
So it's like making up for the fact that he's uh, not bending over as much. He's not like he's not really doing his full stance when he when he does that. Anyway, I just thought that was a weird thing. That's what he's talked about for as long as I've covered this team. Freddie has talked about or as long as he's been up. Freddie's talked about uh, that's all he works on batting practice, trying to hit a line drive. And early in the season when he was struggling. He's like you're tempted at times because he was hitting so many balls into the shift or hitting so many line drives that were being caught. Just hitting. I mean, if you look at his BABIP and all the uh, early on, he was hitting the ball hard almost mm-hmm. as, as much as ever, but he was hitting 190, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, he said he almost was tempted to come out of his plan that he's used forever, you know, and just start, you know, launch angle and trying to, you know, but he yeah. said, you know what, it's worked for me for so long. I'm going to stick with it. And sure enough, Ball started falling in for hits. Now you see him get some cheap ones that early in the year he couldn't even get legit hits. I mean, everything was being caught. He was yeah. getting killed by the shift. So he's gotten fought quite a few hits lately uh, through the left side because they leave it wide open for him. And if he just hits the ball on the ground on the left side, he's got a hit. I mean, it's mm-hmm. – it, and Jock Peterson's the same way. I, he's he, They're like two of the few guys I've seen that will actually try to be the shift like that. You know, Brian McCann could do it, but most guys just, they, they hit into the teeth of the ship. They're not going to change what they do. Eric, let's hear from today's sponsors. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You know, uh, have you seen, uh, have you uh, had the Giants in town yet or seen them? Have they been here? Well, I just mentioned them because they're doing, no. they're doing, I think, the most unique batting practice that I've seen this year. Um, and what they do is they'll have as many as three different uh, locations they throw from. Uh-huh. So they'll have three, really? L, three L screens out there. And uh, each of the and and then w- behind one of the L screens will be a pitching machine. Uh, so they'll mm-hmm. do things where they like uh, the pitching machine throws it h- hard from close, and then someone throws it uh, soft from back back like back behind the the last L screen, or uh-huh. they'll like switch from left to right. Um, That's and they're doing they're just doing it to like. Uh, to to screw with the hitters to yeah. you know to sort of mimic uh, different arm slots and yeah. to to kind of make sense like, oh, man off speed and yeah you know I was I was watching it with the the pirates and they were kind of all being like oh, what the hell is this yeah <laughs> and they're like this is a good recipe for popping up uh, during BP and right as they said that the guy that was in the cage like popped up three times in the cage well <laughs> for them like the- a lot of people BP is just about feeling good but right. Right, warming up. Um, yeah. But they're leading, aren't they leading the majors in home runs still? Yeah. I mean, they're doing some things right. The Giants, yeah. they have been the team, the most surprising team. 
at least to the positive end. You know, there's been a few negative surprises, but uh, uh, I thought the Giants, I mean, I, I if, if you're like me, up until like maybe two weeks ago, I was still waiting for them to go to start, you know, come back to reality. But mm-hmm. I've accepted that this is reality. This team is just good, man. I mean, yeah. Gossman, I never would have expected that from Gossman. But mm-hmm. I mean, offensively, they just do things the right way. They do a lot of they do a lot of things that that really are not that attractive in today's game. But uh, I they got a good team, man. I, I would have never nobody picked them in that division with the Padres and the Dodgers yeah. doing what they did in the offseason nobody but the the, i think what's uh what it is is the brilliance you know ken rosenthal had a piece today about it a little bit where uh farhan is uh zaidi the the president there i I was talking to somebody recently uh around that was that works for the giants and i was saying um man farhan must just have like who's the who's the who's the waiver wire guy you know farhan has got some waiver wire agm that's just all over it and they're like no that's Farhan. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like he is the guy who's super into the little minutia of like, should I claim this guy? And should I claim this guy? And at the beginning, it was like a little bit much out mm-hmm. here in San Francisco because right. they claimed Connor Joe and then let him go after two weeks. And they claimed all the, they claimed like three or four people that they just gave him like two or three weeks and then they were out of there. Um, but that was his, that was his process was to find guys like Yastrzemski, find guys like Solano through this waiver process. Because if you find a guy, cause he found Muncie. You know, yeah. And if you find a guy like that, uh, it's worth so much money. And it's if you look at how the Giants are right now, it's like I found think, money. Yeah, it's found money, right? Yeah. And then, but if you look at how the why the Giants are good, I think it's because they have no holes kind of thing. Like, yeah, when you're when you're like talking about like seventh, eighth, ninth guy in the lineup, um, you know, they're down four nothing. Seventh, eighth, ninth guy in the lineup is coming up in the eighth inning. A lot of times, you're like, oh, I just turn this off, right? You know, but with the Giants, it's like if your seventh, eighth, nine guys are like Solano, Lestella, like yeah. they're all like decent bats, you know, like they they found a way that like. You, you, one of those guys is going to get a hit. One of those guys might get a homer and then they're back in it. So, well, I, I can totally identify with what you're saying because we see the same thing in Alex Anthopoulos. Those guys were together and with the Dodgers and you know, they've, right. they've talked so much. They spent so much time together that you see a lot of the same type things from the Dodgers, the Giants, the Braves. And Alex is the same thing. So many times the fans are like, why did you get another catcher? They've literally gone through like every mid thirties catcher backup catcher this year they've used seven catchers <laughs> they used seven before the all-star break I didn't even notice <laughs> seven catchers they bring in a guy like lacroix he played two games of the mlb team they dump they get rid of him they trade for votes oh, you know that's right they've, they got vote yeah they had kevin kevon or kevin smith he's about to get dumped when they bring back travis darno from the dl but he <laughs> he and, the, and then at the uh, trade deadline they get they get Jock Peterson coming out of the break to fill in for uh, as good as you can for Acuna. Right. He's obviously not going to be Acuna, but he's played really well, uh-huh. uh, playing right field and leading off. So you got the, you filled that. So what does he do at the trade down? Like trade, he trades for three outfielders, and people are like three outfielders. He got Duvall. Okay, that'll that'll solve a problem. He got Duvall, but he didn't stop there. You know, he got Duvall. He got Soler, and a lot of people looking at Soler's numbers this year and going, really, Soler. Well, Soler was hitting before he left the Royals. Like for the last 10 games before he left them, he's kept that up here. He's raking, man. Yeah. I mean, he's been a great addition. He's got another year of arbitration. Right. So, and then they got Eddie Rosario, which was like a, a nothing trade because they got rid of Pablo Sandoval, who's done absolutely nothing for three months. So yeah, the, the whole idea is the same idea. Like you're, you're, that's what you're pointing out. Cover like your asses. Cover your ass. Get the floor up. 
Yeah. Make sure the worst player on your bench, like worst, the worst player in your lineup, worst player on your bench is a good player. And um, it's never been more important than now because there's no waiver trades. You know, you, yeah. you could pick claim a guy you could that's been DFA'd or a trade for a guy that's not on a 40 minute roster, but you can't get those good. You used to be able to get a good player in August. I mean, I brace at Derek Lee one year and he ended up being huge for them down the stretch in the playoffs. You can't do that anymore. So yeah, so if, if Jock gets hurt or Soler gets hurt, like it's going to be yeah. good to have Eddie Rosario coming back, you know? Yeah, like, exactly. Yeah. Instead of relying on a guy like uh, Drew Waters who hadn't played at the majors, you Which know? they also don't seem to want to do, yeah. No, no, they're not ready. They're not going to – he's he's hit a lot better in the last month and cut down on the swings and misses some, but the swings and misses are still so high that uh, they just made a decision early on that we're not, we're not going to be able to rely on him this year. You hope, you hope, you know, you didn't dump him at the, you didn't get rid of him at the trade deadline. You still have the hope, but uh, you know, he, they saw enough of Pache early in the year that they didn't want to bring Pache back up and have him fall on his face twice in one year. You know, he's hitting better too in AAA, but they made the decision that we're not going to get, we're not going to be able to rely on either of those guys for the stretch drive in the playoffs. We need to, we need to get depth before the trade deadline. So yeah, I guess it. so. And so back to your original question, like I could see, is this team good enough? Yeah. I think the Braves are definitely, to me, the Braves are definitely better than the Phillies. Um, I, the one thing I, I, I don't know if I'm hundred percent with you on the Mets thing, just because, uh, they could get healthy. So, you know, they got Carrasco back. They could get Thor back. Um and without the Degrom, lineup, they're not doing it. You don't think so? Not without, without Degrom. Without, without Degrom, they're not doing it. Well, no. uh, you know, they still think that Degrom's coming back. And then I also just think that this offense, you know, Lindor will come back at some point, and I think this offense is better than it's been playing. So, um, I could see it coming down to Mets Braves down the line. And I think I- I'm pretty sure that the uh, the second place team won't make the playoffs. No, yeah, you're right. So uh, you got the, the Padres really fall apart. It's going to be one of those old school races for the division. Um, the, Reds could, def- the Reds or the Brewers, uh, you know that the, the Brewers. I think too, could, yeah. I think the Brewers could win the pennant. They're that good. I mm-hmm. really do think they're that good. Um, and I think Craig Council is the best manager in baseball. It's my opinion. Um, but the Reds are playing a lot better. And with Votto, where did this come from? I thought mm-hmm. Votto was beyond that. I didn't know he was capable of that anymore. Um, well, I, you know, I, I just love him so much because, um, you know, the greatest players, I think, will identify a hole or, 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 or can look at their own numbers or their own production mm-hmm. and and realize that, you know, here's something I need to do something about. I remember when Mike Trout came up, uh, he was actually you could pitch him up top, up at the top of the zone. You could get him out. And he had a, and people were like, oh, he's striking out a quarter of the time. He's not he's not that great. Um, mm-hmm. And then he just like went to work on it in the off season, came back and started hitting tanks off of, uh, off of fastballs at the top of the zone and his, and his strikeout rate, you know, dropped. And we were like, Oh, this is the best player on the planet. So like, uh, uh, I see that a little bit in Votto, maybe not to the same extent where he's obviously the best player on the planet, but like for him, it was obvious that he was getting older uh, and he had some choices to make. And for a while mm-hmm. he kind of choked up on the bat and was trying to just make contact yeah. with everything in the zone. He's going to be like, I'm going to hit like 290 with like 18 homers and, and like a 450 gonna, OBP and a 450 <laughs> OBP. That's just going to be who I am, uh, you know, into my, into my twilight years. Uh, well, that wasn't enough. Eventually, I think to some extent, uh, pitchers start filling out the zone um, if you if they don't fear your power. Uh-huh. Um, and so I just think it wasn't it just wasn't working out that well. So he went to drive line uh, this past offseason 
uh, and did like a, a speed bat trainer, like um, uh, over and underweight bats, basically just like weightlifting with the bat um, uh-huh. and got his bat speed back. And so now you're seeing like a guy who can hit 30 homers again. And uh, it's pretty exciting. And then yeah. it speaks to his sort of dedication. Where do you put, uh, and I don't like to rank players, you know, according to intelligence and all that, but would you say he's one of the more cerebral players you've ever been around? Yeah, Joey for Votto. sure. For yeah. sure. And he, and like, he, like he knows about aging curves and he knows about, like not only just the overall player aging curve because he has a shirt uh, where it says decline phase and it uh, has his age <laughs> on there, something it's like has an aging curve. Yeah. Uh, but he also uh, was reading up on the components, like which parts of uh, a p- player's game age the best um, and which age the worst. And apparently, um, your ability to make contact on pitches outside the zone, like Pablo Sandoval style, um, uh-huh. Josh Hamilton style that uh, ages really, really poorly. Um, and uh, so that starts falling off when you're like 26 and just goes in the tank. Mm-hmm. And that explains to some extent, I think Josh Hamilton's, um, you know, Josh Hamilton's end of his career was a pretty, uh, you wow. know, kind of a real it fall does. off there. Yeah. Um, and if you just think about it, like I think it to some extent, it, it, it explained like Andrew Jones a little bit, right? Mm-hmm. Like he, he, he always expanded the zone, especially like every, yep. everyone was like yelling at the TV about the lows, the slider loan away, right? Yeah. Uh, but uh, and those swings where he'd go down to one knee. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and that just, uh, you know, I think early on in his career, he made contact with that pitch. Yeah. Otherwise, he wouldn't swing at it, right? And then he, I, I guess you just don't have the muscle memory to be like uh, to start laying off of it. You're like, I've, I used to do damage on those pitches. And uh, so I'm going to keep swinging on or you just don't have that. That's eye, fascinating. Yeah, you know? that makes but, sense. Yeah. So so Votto dedicated his early of his part of his career to like kn- knowing the strike zone better than anybody because he knew that skill would last really long. Wow. Um, and and that's why uh, uh, just to bring this back to the Braves again. Acuna this year, I was just amazed. I thought he had that trout thing where the one thing you could say about Acuna was he expands the zone too much. Mm-hmm. He swings outside the zone too much. And what did he do? Yeah. He came back this year and was the number one improver on, yeah. on swinging pitches outside the zone. Yeah. And now he has like a really well above average rate of swing outside the zone. And he used to be one of the worst. He, uh, that was like, wow. Okay. Cuny really cares. And he like, he can, he can look at his game and say, what do I need to do to get to the next level? And he did it. If anything, he was being criticized for taking some pitches that were too close, but he mm-hmm. knows the strike zone that well, that if you go back and look at some of the strikes that he was rung up on that he complained about, if you look, they were he was right. <laughs> he was right. Right. And he doesn't quite get that respect yet. Maybe because he wasn't in the past. He was a free swinger and that kind of thing. But, uh, right. He's he's a guy that you know is kind of mysterious because we don't get to interview him a lot because of the language barrier and he uh, and he just doesn't do a lot of in depth interviews. But he's he'd surprise people with his intelligence. That dude's smart, man. He knows yeah. what's going on. Yeah, uh, and, he's, and from what little I have when I have talked to him, I, I think there was a sort of a, a fatherly you know a connection with his father. Yeah, where I think his father really uh, taught him a lot about the game because yeah. you know, his father struggled. Right. And saw saw the game from a different perspective, you know, yeah. where like a lot of managers do that never get out yeah. of double A AA or triple A and become great managers or any coaches. 
Right. So he learned, I think his father learned a lot about the game in those struggling years in the minors and, and passed a lot of that on. So yeah, there's some, I think that's why it's, it's unfair sometimes to rank these guys because we don't always yeah. get a full picture. We don't get exactly. All, and there's a language barrier. I'm trying, I'm doing my Duolingo, trying to, trying to learn my Spanish, but uh, there's sometimes a language barrier and uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, and then people also just express their, their, um, that's what I was going to say. Some people, people are, it's clear how intelligent they are with the way they speak, like a Joey Votto. Right, but other, then there are other people who know as much about the game, but just don't have the like the words to express it, or or don't don't talk about it the same way, or they don't speak. Uh, they have an accent. You know, it's, it can yeah. be something as elemental as that. Yeah. Um, Chipper Jones, for the longest period, you know, Chipper has his southern draw, and he speaks slowly. And I think a lot of people would see him in a in a in a soundbite on TV and just assume he's some dumb jock. Chipper Jones, <laughs> w- without exaggerate, is the most is the smartest baseball player as far as knowing the entire game that I've yeah. ever personally covered. I mean, he is a savant with baseball. He can tell you literally the count of almost any big hit he had 10 years ago. He can tell you the pitch sequence, you know? That's Why? a that's a that's a real underrated baseball uh thing that yeah. you know, pitchers can tell you what they threw a guy 3 5 years ago. It's crazy to me. I can't I can't remember any of that. <laughs> yeah. And it tells you that those those guys were thinking along with pitchers. They just weren't up there, you know, looking for a pitch to hit. They were thinking along with the pitchers. And he knows there's no doubt in my mind he won't be a manager because it takes too much time and he's got so much other going on. <laughs> he, this he made enough shows. money playing. And he made enough money. That's the, that's the problem with so many guys that today's game that could be great like, managers. You said about Votto too. I was like, yeah, I don't know, man. He made so much money. I don't know. He's, he, he might be like a consultant or something. Exactly. That's what Chipper is right now. A consultant. Yeah. So he keeps his toe in the water. But they, uh, where you can't expect these guys who made two, three hundred, four hundred million dollars to all of a sudden they work twice as much or they look work a lot more hours as a manager or coach than they did as players. And it's mm-hmm. year round and you can't expect them to yeah, do that. Barry, for- Barry was a terrible coach. <laughs> Barry Bonds was so bad. Yeah. Like he would just, he'd show up, uh, he'd show up to the park at like noon. Yeah. <laughs> and then people would be like, what? Yeah. So when he got- hit, was the coach in Miami. They were just like, uh, they, that guy's never around. What's going on? It's such a different era because you got a guy like, a. Uh, Terry Pendleton comes to mind because he was the hitting coach here for quite a while, but they had great careers, but that was back when they didn't make $20 million, you know, so that money doesn't, they're not, they're not wealthy beyond imagination for the rest of their lives. So they actually are still want to work, you know, and they, so TP, man, we get to spring training and get the ballpark at seven in the morning. Pendleton's been there for an hour working with guys individually in the cage. That's also his personality, right? I mean, he was kind of a lunch, he was lunch pail grinder. Ron Washington. You know, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. a guy that scaled the heights. He's, he was a manager on World Series teams and all that. He's I remember out there doing one on one drills with infielders, you know, an hour and a half before batting practice. I think Terry would be the greatest hitting coach because I remember growing up, he had a new stance like every three weeks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he could talk to anybody about their stance because he'd be like, Oh, yeah, I had that once for four yeah. weeks in August of 1988. <laughs> well, you know, the funny thing is, he was a, he was a hitting coach here for a long time. And if you go back and look where the, the year where they changed hitting coaches, the OBP wasn't as stressed back then as it is now, not nearly uh-huh. what it is. And if you go back and look, like the last couple of years he was the hitting coach, they were ranked in the top like three in the majors in OBP. Oh, and wow. it was like, yeah, we want more, you know. And, and now if you look at it, it would be like, why did they get rid of that guy? You know, because they've been through a lot of hitting coaches since then. 
Sykes yeah. was really good. Knows his shit, but TP was great, man. I'm- it's also it's a it's a really tough job. The yeah. uh, the average tenure right now of a yeah. hitting coach is like a year and a half. It's terrible. That's how quickly they fire people, and th- that's part of the hitters. Yeah, <laughs> well, you're right. You can't fire the hitters. Also, like the but the data and tech is changing every year, yeah. and so that requirement is different. Yeah, and also I just think that too much is asked of a hitting coach. Oh, when, when they looked at what they actually can do, I think that's a really smart thing you said about Terry. What they the number one thing that a hitting coach can actually affect when you look at when you try to strip away everything, it's really hard to strip away everything because you know somebody could just have a good year and then yeah. you'd say, oh, that was a hitting coach. Yeah, maybe yeah. I just had a good year. Yeah. Um, but uh, when you try to strip it away, the biggest effect that a hitting coach has is on whether or not to reach at a pitch outside the zone, like whether or not you're going to be more passive. And mm-hmm. like sort of uh, swing less and maybe take uh, and take more walks and strike out a little bit more, maybe. Um, or if you're going to be more aggressive, that's like yeah. the main the main toggle that a, that a hitting coach has. So uh, I'm, I, I'm sure there's there, there are a lot of good things that a hitting coach should do. Uh, but to ask them to sort of take my struggling team and turn around all the hitters is, is a lot to ask. And it's so easy to scapegoat a hitting coach, a yeah. pitching coach, a bullpen coach. You know, because what's the knee-jerk reaction when people see a team is struggling, like with runners in scoring position? Fire the hitting coach. Well, wait, wait a minute. The same guys were third in the majors with runners in scoring position a year ago. Did he stop teaching them what he taught them? Maybe then? there's a lot Did, of luck in that stuff. Exactly, man. Exactly. <laughs> and I mean, also, if you're thinking about it from a GM perspective, I feel like uh, you you have like a list of, of of people you can fire before you get fired. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and there's like you can you can go through a couple hitting coaches and pitching coaches before exactly. then you have to fire the manager. But if you hire another manager after after that you're next <laughs> yeah you 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 cannot you're the one who screwed up <laughs> otherwise that gms a lot of times when you see them make a move after a disappointing season after they make a move and it's like okay I, they might as well throw a dart at the board because somebody's going to take a fall it ain't going to be the gm you know and if it's a high profile manager it's not going to be the manager because he's going to say you know i managed the, the guys you gave me so who's it going to be it's going to be one of the underlings that's not going to complain about it because it's not going to burn bridges because he wants to get another job right and then you could say, I made a move, you know, we, we, yeah. we tried to address that. We fired that. the pitching so, coach. Very fungible, like, like relievers. <laughs> they're very fungible. Yeah. But yeah, yeah the, the rain that you don't see many that do the job for a long time. It's got a guy like Larry Rothschild that's been a pitching coach. I, he was a pitching coach when I was covering that's the Marlins. That's exactly in, sort of what I was 90s. thinking of there, right there, actually. <laughs> you know? It's like, I mean, yeah. I, I do think that he might have screwed up a little bit with Sonny Gray. That was They weren't communicating well with each other. Uh, that's what so much of it is communication with certain guys yeah but uh but he's obviously has skills in communication he's been a bitch coach forever you know like yeah had a lot of success you know so yeah it's a thankless job um so what uh i wanted to ask you about spin rate Mm -hmm. i know you you looked at spin rate the reduction immediately after Kind of bef- even before the rules went into effect, like that previous week when they said they're gonna go into effect, you started seeing some guys go, "Oh shit!" And start doing. You saw some differences. And um, do you think that the rule has had its intended effects? Because I, I, you know, we a lot of us noticed offense going up in those first weeks after the rule went into effect, and we also saw a lot of spin rates going down. Do you think it's kind of leveling out now? Guys are adjusting, figuring out how to pitch without sticky stuff. If they, you know, after some really difficult first week or two. Yeah, there's there's a couple things that I'm saying. So, 
at, at a sort of peak or like uh, maybe let's say around uh, the beginning of July, um, I, I looked at how many people were down, how many how many uh, pitchers were down, and it was around sixty percent were down significantly, what you would call sort of statistically significantly. So sixty yeah. percent of the league uh, was down, and I would say that. You know, you probably still have people who are still cheating. So, like, yeah, um, my guess had been Somehow, my reported yeah. my reported guess had been seventy five percent. So, I think we were pretty close. Two thirds to three quarters of the league were doing were using something, um, and then there was about a quarter of the league that was down like 300, 400 RPM. Yeah, and and that was on the sort of spider tack level, right? Um, right. And our reported guess there was about a third. So. Uh, a third to a quarter, we're using like the crazy stuff. Yeah. Um, and uh, so I, you know, what we noticed was uh, uh, four seam fastballs uh, were most affected by this. Mm-hmm. Um, and we know that in baseball, um, you know, it's been going towards like the high four seam with the slider has kind of mm-hmm. been, you know, what baseball's been doing recently. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that high four seam got less effective. So what we did see was there was actually some trading of four seamers back for sinkers and two seamers. So we've seen um, uh, enough to say like that's a little bit of a trend where like a little bit of sinkers coming back, uh, a little bit of two seamers coming back. Um, I could say, I could tell you right now that uh, whiffs on four seamers is down 10% um, from before the ban mm-hmm. to after the ban. So like definitely had an effect on four seamers. I think that uh, it, it probably disproportionate to some players, some pitchers where like some pitchers, de- you know, had a high riding four seamer that they de- de- depended on more than others. Right. So um, those guys maybe got more affected by it. Uh, yeah. I, would, I would love to see like uh, what Wasker does when he comes back, you know, because he was kind of like a high, uh, you know, kind of a riding four seam with that slider. Mm-hmm. So I want to see, you know, that's the kind of pitcher that could be uh, well affected by this. But um, another thing I've noticed uh, that I just I just looked at this for this show. Um, there are 40 pitchers uh, who were down big uh, after the ban who are now back up big. <laughs> really? Uh, yes. So Figured where to locate the uh, sticky stuff? Yeah. So <laughs> I think about a couple of things when I think about that. First of all, um, I think that the uh, the enforcement is kind of rote and obvious, right? Yeah, like, yeah, right. They, they told Pitchers everybody. know where they're going to look. Yeah. Right. So if you, <laughs> if you put it anywhere all yeah. other than your glove, your belt, and your hat, yeah, and you could still cheat right now, right? You can yeah. still whatever do what you want to do. The other thing that I've noticed, and this is more anecdotal, um, but uh, also they they said they would kind of, and I, I feel bad for uh, Hector Santiago, though I guess he then ended up uh, getting popped for steroids too. But um, they sort of said that yeah, oh, you can't do uh, sunscreen and and sweat with the like you can't you can't have it on your on your glove or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and they said they were going to really not lock down on that. They haven't really. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I see a lot of sweaty ass pictures, like just sweaty hair, like yeah. just, just wet, wet people out there. And yeah. so I think that they're just, you know, getting the wetness off their hair uh, and, and combining it with that, the rosin to just get as much as they can out of the rosin. Um, and so that's they're They're finding ways that are more legal, I guess, uh, yeah. to, to kind of get some of that back. Or some of them have just found a different place to put the spider tag. That's but, funny because uh, I think a lot is, of there people. There has been a bounce back. Life finds a way, as I said. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Guys, let's take a quick break and then we'll finish up the show. It's funny that you mentioned that. You explained that the four seam is the most affected because I think a lot of people, the general view was 
these guys with the huge curveballs are going to, oh, they're screwed. Not That wasn't the case. Um, There's some I, command. I think some of those breaking ball command has gone down. Charlie Morton is a guy that he said the day the rule came out, he goes, he goes, I welcome it. I've said since day one, the baseball can't do anything that's going to affect my spin rate. In other words, he was talking bold, like I do not cheat. And what happened? His first two starts after that, I looked at, his spin rate was still the same as it ever was, over 3,100 on a lot of his curveballs. You look at a Charlie Morton start, it's fascinating because on the Savant, where they do the spin rate for every pitcher in the game, right? Uh-huh. He's usually between 35 and 45 top pitches of all the pitchers in the game. He is every top spin rate. I mean, not even one pitch from another pitcher slips into there. It's like He's when you like, do the Aroldis Chapman velocity and it's like all Aroldis yeah, Chapman when you exactly. do velocity. Yeah. Charlie's like 2,900 to th- over 3,100 spin rates, that curveball. It's fascinating, man. Yeah. I mean, guys, uh, he's an ageless wonder. I, I've, I've been pleasantly surprised and fascinated watching him. Just uh, so impressive watching this guy go in start after start at age 37. He's still nasty. He's still in mid-upper 90s with that curveball that is just unhittable. Yeah, really. Yeah. He's an impressive guy, man, and and really smart guy too. No, I, I he's one of my favorite interviews. He's, yeah, I like know, him. He's he he goes on that smartest list. What's interesting about him too um, is um, his emotional intel, or like his his just he's an emotional guy. Yep. You know, and he and he wants to. He cares he, he wants, like he hell cares, about everybody, man. His and he wants to, and he cares about uh, saying the right thing to, like, to getting yes, like expressing himself correctly. No cliches. Yeah. Never like, an answer just to get the answer and move on, get right. the interview over. He and sits there, like, thinks, thinks about, about it what for you, a second. Yeah, thinks about your question. Really yeah. wants to answer. It, it. means yeah. a lot to him. We're like yeah. sometimes in post game, we're like, okay, Charlie, just it's all right, man. Don't worry. He, <laughs> just he acts the, like he cares. Just so give us much. the mad libs. Just give us the words. That we can he'll put go in. four <laughs> minutes on an answer and he'll go. I don't know. I don't know. Did that help? Did that help? To, is that the, what you're looking for? We're like, yeah, that's more than enough, dude. <laughs> he's great. I mean, he is so uh, God. He's he's great to have on the team to cover. Yeah, it was really funny to have Morton and uh, Morton and Granky as like uh, these are two guys I love talking to that are couldn't be more different in terms yeah. of the, that emotional quality, but are also just super yeah. smart when it comes to to pitching. So yeah, so I mean, if the if he wants to pitch another year, and I don't know why he wouldn't want to. I mean, I, I know he's got little kids; that'd be the only reason. But the Braves, uh, you know, train fifteen minutes so he can live at home in spring training. That helps a lot, but. The race he's also, the, the I think he was really race. important for this this pitching staff. Oh yeah, huge! He's, like he's he's also just in terms of like so statistically, he's projectable. You kind yeah. of know what you're going to get every start. Uh, it, it's it's not. Uh, it's either he's in there or he's injured. It's not uh, a question of how good he's going to be. And you saw with like the younger Braves starters that like we've seen their best, and now in some cases we're seeing some of their worst. And like, yeah. you know, like yeah. you know, there's that like sort of yo-yoing that happens with a young pitcher, a uh, young right. starting pitcher that doesn't necessarily happen with Charlie Morton. So and even Smiley yo-yos. You know, he's had a really great second half. You know, he's been really good after the first two months he struggled. He's been really good but he's not going to give you one five two times through the order you got to get him out that third yeah. time through when charlie he's if he, he might have a bad first inning or bad second inning but he's going to give you his six or seven innings he's going to give up between one or no runs and three or four runs maybe occasional five but that's it mm-hmm. and he's been a great influence on the young guys too just watching him go about his work it's invaluable with all the young yeah. guys they've got you know, and also, he's like, all he's, of them he's super, yeah, he's super open to like data and tech, everything, 
And so, like, that does actually, it is meaningful. Um, you know, there are pictures like uh, uh, leadership on the Cardinals that are not as open uh, to right. that. And so that that then sort of goes down to the younger players where they're like, ah, I don't care about the rap soto, you know, the, right. you know, the older guys kind of don't care. So I don't care. But if, but it's, it, there's a lot of value to be had there when you're, when you're trying to shape pitches and trying to yeah. be the best pitcher you can be. And to have Charlie in there being still caring about what the drop is on his curveball mm-hmm. or, or if, you know, how he can get coaxed more right out of the four seam or whatever it is. And, and, and being there from the machines. Yeah. It's definitely, yeah. That was a that was a really good uh, a really good signing and just generally Anthopolis uh, strikes me as just a very interesting guy. I was looking up the um, the Braves bullpen never ranks in the top ten when it comes to velocity. Right and uh, and when you go and buy when you go spend a uh, top dollar for Hen- uh, Chapman Hendricks um, uh, Liam Hendricks Earl Chapman Kimbrell when you're signing those guys you're spending a ton of money and you're doing it to get a high velocity high strikeout guy and that makes mm-hmm. a lot of sense that you know, it's been proven but Anthopoulos uh, sp- would rather spread the risk around by uh, cheaper guys uh, and and buy a couple of them um, and he seems yeah. to kind of value uh and this is not something that's valued in relievers usually uh command a little yeah. bit in his yes. relievers and you think about Mel- melanson will smith you know these guys like um you know the guys that he pays money for uh, don't have the 98 but they have command and maybe sometimes they'll have multiple pitches you know they they've they've, they've proven yeah. themselves year over year uh they're proven commodities and he went um, out and got rich rodriguez for that reason Guy yeah comes in so of, strikes he loves like tomlin you know, he yeah. might, it only throws 99 two now, but it throws strikes because they yeah. watched enough of those young guys throw hard, uh, that bounce around throwing, walking the yard and that kills them. And that kills everybody watching. And those guys are easier to acquire. I mean, you still have Newcomb, yeah. like you can bring Newcomb in if he's, yeah. if it's good command Newcomb, you know, then like he could be good in the bullpen. You can have guys sort of, you have the hard throwers come up through your own system and you kind right. of filter through those. But if you're going to sign a guy, then yeah. sign a guy that has some, some command and some ability uh, because you're giving him some actual money over, over two or three yeah. years. So I, I really like what he's done in the bullpen. And I think Morton is, was a good signing on that front. Smiley. Yeah. He's volatile, but it's also was a one year deal for him too. Right. Yeah. 11 so, million. Yeah. Yeah. So they'll do it again next year. They, I bet you they don't do Smiley again next year, but they, maybe they'll give Morton a one year and they'll find somebody else. Yeah. Another veteran pitcher that they give a one year deal to. Um, yeah. and, 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 and rinse and repeat because they've got this great positional core and that's what, that's what he's trying not to do. He's trying not to give up any of the assets that might turn into that core or might right. add to that core. Right. Uh, and that's why I, I like, like, I like those, the deadline, you know, getting devolved. None of those guys cost a real prospect. No, they only had about six million, and they got rid of none of their top prospects. I doubt that. I doubt that any prospect they traded away will turn into like a top line player. Maybe, right. maybe like a league average back end side of type of player. Yeah. But they didn't give up like a top hundred prospect or anything. So he still hasn't. And been here three years, he hasn't given up one top prospect. And it can be frustrating. But they did yeah. open the coffers for Azuna, so like they do, they will pay for 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 certain situations. And they're about to with Freeman, I think too. So I think they'll sign it. Freeman. Yes, I think they'll. Sign It'll get done. They just they don't want to. They don't want to give him like uh, they don't want like two and three hundred million is a little bit much for a first baseman. Yeah, you're right. So they want to wait for their earnings report. It just came out oh, last week. Yeah, <laughs> they're yeah, raking it in again. It's like the only publicly. Uh, it's yeah. the only public uh, team in baseball. Publicly owned team in baseball. 
no doubt. And so they have to give the earnings report. and So we can all know phone. exactly how much money they have. <laughs> and they're raking it in over the second quarter last year when they lost money. This time they had an operating profit of like $54 million. Last year they lost you know, no $20 excuses. million. No excuses. So now there's no excuses. Now they can give Freeman to make him a fair offer. They can't make him an insulting offer. They have to make He's too important. So Yeah. Yeah, they have to and make that's, him a fair look what happened in, in Chicago. They gave Rizzo a bit of an insulting offer. I mean, I think yeah, exactly. Four, you look like, bad when you do that. Four and five for seventy is is a little bit insulting to a guy that like brought you a World Series. It's still a good player. He's not he's not a lumbering first baseman. He still plays good defense. You know, yeah, Freddie, some, they got to do at least what the Goldschmidt got a little bit more than that. So yeah. I think it's got to be five years, six years, one hundred and forty, one hundred and fifty. Even that's, I think yeah, that's, I bet it'll be in there. Yeah, but it's not he's not going to be the guy, you know, if you get 200, 300 million, that's like you're in a middle infielder and you're, you know, you're 25 or something when you get it. And you yeah, know, like Tatis type stuff, you know, yeah, you don't give uh, that much money. But yeah, 100, 125 on the low end, but they'll get something like that. Yeah. All right, man. Well, I know we're running out of time here. Uh, our producer's got another show to do and yeah. uh, I don't want to keep you. I really appreciate you hopping on with us here. I was going to ask you about Dansby Swanson too, where uh, it's one of those guys, it's hard to judge where he is because there's so many great shortstops in the game today. Have you, ever, have you, where would you, if you off the top of your head, where would you put Dansby Swanson? Uh, it, no, it, it's going to he, sound like I'm, I'm, I'm bagging him, but like middle of the pack. I understand. Yeah, I understand. I think he's very good. Yeah. Um, there's yeah. so many good shortstops. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I, I'd say, you know what? With age, I, I know that, like, you know, Fangraphs, I've got Fangraphs open in the meantime. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, Fangraphs puts him, uh, where is it? He doesn't yeah. do great war wise or de- defensive wise. Yeah, but they you have, watch a, they him play, have 20th. But you watch him play and he's better than that. You know? Yeah, I think he's over. You have him 20th behind guys like Iglesias, uh, Ahmed Rosario, uh, Brandon Crawford. I would put him ahead of those guys. I, I would put him ahead of Miguel Rojas. Oh, uh, yeah. I put him, I think I'd put him ahead of De Young, Paul De Young, mm-hmm. uh, even though War likes him better. Um, I think I'd put him maybe around 10, 11, 12. You know, Adamas, uh, Wander Franco, Tim Anderson, those guys are supposedly 9, 10, 11. So it's kind of hard mm-hmm. to necessarily yeah. put him ahead of those. I mean, those guys are really good too. Yeah. And he does some things intangibles that don't show up anywhere that, you know, people are going to poo-poo or whatever. But if you watch him, he does some things. He makes some really smart plays. He's a winning mm-hmm. player. He played, you know, at Vanderbilt. Made, he was a huge part of their national championship team. But, you know, those are things you don't necessarily pay a lot of money, tons of money for, you know. But this year, the 20 homers already, that's been a revelation. And uh, he, he still doesn't have a nearly high enough average in LVP for, for a shortstop. But, uh, you know, if you had 20 bombs and you're playing solid defense, We'll see. It's going to be interesting. He's got one more year of arbitration before free agency. So he's also been a little different from like year to year. Like there were yes, years he where has. he was like more of a batting average guy with less power. Yeah. When uh, he's hurt, playing hurt, you know, yeah. he's healthy now. And we're seeing he's surprising 20 homers. He's a rangy guy. Doesn't look like at all. Like you see him and you go, how's this guy going to set? He's going to set a shortstop record for home runs with the Braves, all time franchise record. And you he look is, at him and he has good plate discipline. I think he should he should yeah. walk more in the future and, and get that OBP up. But yeah, I yeah. always thought he had this power. Um actually yeah. because the batted ball stats, like the barrels and stuff yeah. that he did. But uh yeah, I I like him. I like watching him play, and I I think he's he's a little bit underrated. All right, that's it. We appreciate it, man. Thank you for jumping on here and plugging yeah. in for uh for Eric. Thanks for having me. And congratulations to Eric. Yes, 755 is real and we are out. Mm-hmm.